Today on the Tove Podcast, I'm excited to welcome congregational leader and New York City native Dan Stroll. Dan grew up in a Reformed Jewish home, went to Hebrew school, and was bar mitzvahed at the age of 13. And in 1975, something radical happened in Dan's life. He's going to share that with us today, as well as how that changed the entire trajectory of his life. Thanks for joining us today on the Tove Podcast. You are listening to the Tove Podcast. Welcome to the Tove Podcast. I have as my guest here with me today, Congregational Leader Dan Stroll. Uh, Dan, welcome to the Tove Podcast. Thank you, Levi. It's great to be here. We are uh, hoping that we can learn a little bit from you today as uh, you explore your testimony with us and uh, part of the Lord's calling on your life. And there's no better place to begin than at the beginning. And I wondered if you might be able to share with our listeners uh, what it was like growing up in a Jewish home in New York City. I would be happy to do that. Uh, I like to start telling my story by explaining I grew up on a small island off the east coast of the continental United States. It's called Manhattan. <laughs> um, but uh, that's where I was born there, raised there, and uh, born into a Jewish home. Both of my parents are Jewish. We were actively involved in a uh, Reformed Jewish synagogue. I went to Hebrew school. Uh, was bar mitzvah, was confirmed at 16, and uh, we were very actively involved in the synagogue. My mom and dad were both very active, and we were there almost every Friday night or Saturday morning, and uh, we celebrated all the holidays at home uh, and uh, went to synagogue, walked to synagogue on the high holidays, uh, and uh, we're very, very plugged in. My, my Jewish identity was very important to me. Uh, but I grew up in a uh, kind of a mixed neighborhood. It was a really nice neighborhood, a you know middle class neighborhood in Manhattan. And uh, there was a um, there were two contingents of people in it. There were the Jewish kids and the Catholic kids. Mm. And uh, our uh, earlier on in my life, the um, relationships that we had were not always the best, and that uh, very much colored my perspective on Christianity and Christians. Mm, interesting. I know that in the news um, recently, anti-Semitism has been a big problem, not only across the U.S., but specifically in New York City. When you grew up in Manhattan, uh, practicing your Jewish identity and so forth, uh, did you run into much anti-Semitism? Uh, for the most part, no, but in my neighborhood, occasionally, yes, there were, uh, playgrounds in my neighborhood that, um, it was, uh, dangerous for me to walk by. Mm. And, uh, uh, so there was a certain amount of hostility, um, in those areas, but you know, the Jewish population of New York is so huge. There wasn't much, not the, not the kind of anti-Semitism we've seen lately. No. So you grew up in Manhattan. You, I assume you graduated high school in, out of New York City, and then you're off to college? Uh, yeah. I actually uh, went from high school to a, a college in New York City. 
I attended the Fashion Institute of Technology in Midtown Manhattan, where I majored in fashion photography. Wow. Yeah. Then I worked for a couple of years after graduating uh, school, worked in the photography industry as an assistant, did a little freelance work, and uh, really uh, enjoyed photography a lot. Okay. So is that what eventually took you out to Aspen, Colorado? Well, actually, no. What took me to Aspen, Colorado was my love for skiing, hmm. uh, which seems strange having grown up in, in Manhattan without uh, many opportunities to ski. Uh, I really believe that looking back on my life that the Lord had implanted in me a, an interest in skiing. And uh, it was that that eventually uh, took me to Aspen. Wow. And so uh, just from the times we've we've spoken in the past, Dan, uh, if I remember correctly, that's where you met your current wife. Is that right? That is absolutely correct. My bride of uh, 43 years, just uh, the other week, last week, we celebrated our 43rd anniversary. Wow, congratulations. Thank you. So tell me about that, because eventually you started to believe that there was something to the claims of Jesus being the Messiah. Uh, did that happen while you were in Aspen? It did. It did. My first ski season out there, um, I just fell in love with the place, decided it's where I wanted to live. And uh, so moved out there the following ski season, planning to make that my home for the rest of my life. And uh, really, as far as I was concerned, I was in heaven out there. I loved skiing as long as I could pay my rent and make peanut butter sandwiches and have a season lift ticket. That's all I wanted out of mm. life. <laughs> and uh, uh, But at the beginning of my second ski season out there, I met uh, the woman who is now my wife, Cynthia, a nice Gentile girl from Kansas City, Missouri. Mm. And uh, we met through uh, a mutual friend. And uh, she was the first Christian who had ever made a serious attempt at sharing her faith with me and didn't run away when uh, they got a hostile response. Mm. So your initial response when Cynthia shared with you uh, about Jesus was a bit of hostility? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, everybody knows Jews don't believe in Jesus, and you can't be Jewish and believe in Jesus. And how could you talk to me about believing in a man who's in whose name my people have been killed for 2,000 years and what about all the anti-Semitism? What about all the hypocrisy in the church and on and on and blah, blah, blah. Mm. Were, were those rebuttals something that you had just kind of heard over the years and accumulated? Or were you specifically taught that these are the answers to the Christians? You know, it's it's that's a great way to ask the question. It, it was more they were more axioms that you grew up with that you don't remember anybody actually sitting down and saying that to you, but the idea that Jews don't believe in Jesus and you can't be Jewish and believe in Jesus are just axiomatic realities uh, within the Jewish community, and I grew up with those. Mm. Um, do you think that that's still largely the case today? I think so. I think there might be... Um, a little bit of softening there, especially in the millennial generation, a little more openness uh, to consider things. Um, but in my generation, that openness was not there. <laughs> mm. 
So Cynthia, your now wife, begins to engage you uh, about Jesus. I'm, I'm assuming she shared elements of the gospel with you and so forth. Uh, how long do you think it took you from the time that you initially heard Cynthia to the time that you decided, hey, I believe this and I'm going to become a follower of Yeshua, the Jewish Messiah? It was just about a year, a little less, tiny bit less than a year. What was going through your mind as you were wrestling with all of these things and yet considering belief in Jesus? Well, a lot of it, uh, at least initially, was um, trying to wrestle through my Jewish identity in response to these things. And and because there was a really a, a just a gut level sense of betrayal to even think about these things, mm. uh, because that the idea that this was not for us, this was other, uh, was so deeply embedded in my in my identity that it was really hard to even consider these things. And um, and it was really through. Uh, Cynthia asking me questions. Cynthia has a journalism degree mm. from the University of Missouri and is one of the most naturally curious people I've ever met. And uh, she just, without, I don't think, with, well, I don't know, she did it intentionally, but she asked, she just asked a lot of questions about what I believed and why I believed it, and which then led me to ask her what she believed and why she believed it. And, and we went back and forth like that through an entire ski season, um, mm. and not always pleasantly. <laughs> <laughs> well, praise the Lord for Cynthia for not only being willing to share with you, but then doing it in such a loving and sensitive way. Right. Yeah. And, and she... She was. She was really good at it. And, and asking questions is such a great way to do it. Mm. You know, what's God like? What does he think of you? Does he want to have a relationship with you on what basis and things like that? And these were all questions that I had never really, certainly as an adult, had never really given serious consideration to. Mm. Yeah. For some of our listeners out there um, who might be more curious about the method of asking questions as a means of sharing your faith. There is a wonderful book out there that we highly recommend here at the Tove Podcast. It's actually by a Jewish believer named Randy Newman, and the book is called Questioning Evangelism. And the idea of the book is not whether or not we should share our faith, but rather, uh, I think Randy Newman does a wonderful job of we're giving examples of questions we can ask that lovingly lead people to the truth as opposed to just making statements. And I've noticed, and I'm not, perhaps you've noticed this too, Dan, that whenever I'm speaking with someone, um, if I make a statement to them, it seems like the engagement level all of a sudden drops. But if I ask a question, if I show an interest, um, and if I try to figure out where they're at, all of a sudden the conversation can go on for much longer. Has that been your experience too, Dan? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. The, the, I, the concept behind, it's not simply asking a question. It's caring, actually caring and being interested in what that other person is thinking and mm. why they think it. And I think that's what uh, made Cynthia so effective in uh, in her witness to me was that she gen she was genuinely interested, 
and wanted to hear what I had to say and wasn't afraid to engage with it and push back. Uh, but there was a genuine concern, a genuine relationship, a friendship there. Mm, yeah. So eventually you, you come to the point, you place your faith uh, in Jesus as the Messiah. Uh, then what? Uh, because I don't know about your particular situation, but I've often heard of uh, Jewish folks who experience a lot of pushback from family, from mm-hmm. friends, uh, because all of a sudden they've, quote unquote, gone too far. What was your experience? In terms of the scale of responses, I was relatively fortunate in, in the response that my family gave to me. It took me a couple of months to get up the nerve uh, to even tell them I had become a believer in Jesus because I knew it would be really upsetting to them. And I finally did tell them in a letter. And uh, a week or two after I mailed my letter, I got a letter back from my parents who said that they were you know, shocked, disappointed, sad, grief-stricken. Um, and they disagreed with me and really wanted me to talk with the rabbi the next time I was back in the city uh, visiting. And uh, But they did say, you're still our son, we still love you. So I did not suffer the, uh, the kind of um, disinheriting that some in the Orthodox community in particular experience. So now all of a sudden, you're a new believer, you have a newfound faith, Eventually, God would lead you to be, as we mentioned in the introduction, the congregational leader of the Olive Tree Congregation located in the northwest suburbs of Chicago. How did you arrive at that point? And how many years eclipsed between the moment of your faith and being the congregational leader of the Olive Tree Congregation? Wow. Let's see. Now I have to do math. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, let's see, I came to faith in 1975, and I started serving at the Olive Tree Congregation in the summer of 1987. Actually, 12 years gone by from the time that you come to faith uh, to the time that you begin leading a congregation is a pretty short time. So you must have grown a lot during those 12 years. Well, the Lord, the Lord was gracious for somebody who was a non-student uh, in my earlier days. He really did give me a hunger for the Word, and I really enjoyed studying it. And, uh, and the opportunities he provided for me to teach uh, just continued to fuel that, that desire. Mm. And so, and, you know, although it really was his mercy because I don't know that I ever would have volunteered to leave Aspen to go work in a mission— I don't know if I ever would have volunteered to lead a high school youth group. I don't know that I would have volunteered to work as a frontline missionary. But at each of those stages, the Lord engineered my circumstances to move me to the next thing he had for me. Mm. And isn't that the exact principle that we find in the scriptures? That a man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. And that's, right. uh, that's been my experience, too, is that he is faithful to do that. Uh, whether there's a pandemic going on or some other personal crisis we might have, uh, if we just walk in daily obedience to the Lord, we can be assured that he will direct our steps. That's right. And I want to dive a little bit more into the Olive Tree Congregation now, Dan, because I noticed on your website that you guys have 
four core values. And I thought these were beautiful core values, and I wondered if we could just walk through them and you could unpack them a little bit for our listeners. I would be delighted to do that. Yeah. The first core value uh, that's listed there is Jesus is for Jews, affirmative. And why is that a core value? And what does that mean? You know, we have some listeners out there that they may not even know any Jewish people. They may not know any Jewish believers. Why is it important that Jesus is for Jews? Well, I mean, first of all, Jesus himself was Jewish. The first several thousand, tens of thousands, perhaps, of his followers were all Jews. And the first big fight they had in the church was whether or not Gentiles could become believers in Jesus <laughs> uh, without first becoming Jews. Yeah. And so uh, those things, if we read biblical history in its plain meaning, we understand that that Jesus, believing in Jesus is the most Jewish thing in the world a person can do, yet church history has... Um, covered over that reality uh, because of the kind of relationships that the church has had with the Jewish people over the years. And so we, we have that as, as a core value because of those axioms that I spoke of, of in my own upbringing, that mm -hmm. you can't be Jewish and believe in Jesus, Jews don't believe in Jesus. And when you look at the scriptures, when you, beginning with Genesis and working all the way through the Revelation, there is no there are no more Jewish story than the story of redemption. Mm. The, the second core value is what you've listed as Israel-centric Bible teaching. I think a lot of people walk into churches today and either, in my opinion, they're not thinking of Israel at all, or unfortunately, some of them believe that God's given up on Israel. Israel and the Jewish people, and, and now he's moved on. But in your core values, in your congregation, Israel-centric Bible teaching is right there. And why is that? Well, as I just alluded to, uh, we, we believe that the plain reading of the Scripture is a, a Jewish story. That is certainly not an exclusive story. It's a universal story, clearly, mm -hmm. that God's intention is to save the world, to save Jews and Gentiles but that the means by which he has chosen to do that have at, at, at its center the nation of Israel, the people of Israel, and the promises that God made to Israel because the redemption of the world will come to pass as a result of God keeping his promises uh, to the Jewish people. And so we feel that it's really important for people to understand that about the scriptures so that we don't fall into some of the wrong readings of scripture where the idea of who's a Jew and what is Israel gets uh, morphed in some way into something other than uh, the literal historical definitions of those terms. And mm. so for us, our passion, it's not to say it's an Israel-centric Bible teaching can sound to people's ears like, well, that sounds kind of nationalistic and they're kind of proud of their Jewishness and like they're all uppity and better than other people and stuff like that. And we work really hard at helping people understand that, no, 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 that's, that's not where we're coming from. We understand more clearly than anyone, perhaps, that Jews are just like everybody else, only more so, <laughs> and, and that we deserve salvation no more than anybody else, perhaps less 
you know, just because of the nature of our relationship with God and, and the way we have been so unfaithful in that relationship. Uh, but the idea that God's promises to Israel reflect the nature of his, of his grace. And so when we talk about an Israel-centric Bible teaching, we're excited about it, not because we're Jews, but because we see it as so fundamental to God's faithfulness. Mm. And we don't want people to miss how gloriously faithful God is, because uh, even the Apostle Paul in Romans makes the argument, Romans 9 through 11 in particular, makes the argument, look, if God isn't going to be faithful to his literal promises to the literal people of Israel, then what hope do we have as Christians that he's going to be faithful to us? Mm, Yeah, that's a great point. And so if you're interested in learning more about why is God's faithfulness to Israel such a key aspect when we're reading the Bible and even in our view of God, of his character— uh, hop on back to season one of the Tove podcast and check out our episode on Genesis chapter 15. Well, Dan, that brings us to the third value at the Olive Tree Congregation, which is Jewish cultural expression. Well, we celebrate Jewish cultural expression because it's the best way for us to continue to identify as Jews and to be recognizably identifiable as Jewish people. Mm -hmm. And so part of our commitment is to do that, and we do that by uh, celebrating the feasts, God's calendar of feasts. Now, obviously, nobody can celebrate the feasts as God gave them. Even the most orthodox of Jewish people cannot do that because there's no temple, no priesthood, Mm. no sacrifices. But we see in the feasts that God gave to Israel not only... Uh, pictures of the nature of his relationship with Israel, but we see in those feasts uh, God's plan of redemption in history. And so Jewish cultural expression not only helps us identify as Jewish people in a way that the rest of the world, and especially the rest of the Jewish people, go, oh yeah, that's Jewish. Mm -hmm, (laughs) And mm -hmm. they are still living as Jews. For instance, my my parents um, were you know, my mom actually came to faith um, way many years later, which wow. is a total miracle in and of itself. Uh, but one of the things that I think helped my mom begin to consider the truth of the gospel was the fact that she saw our children grow up Jewish and that our daughters and our son were bat and bar mitzvah. Mm-hmm. And we, we, keep certain Jewish traditions on Friday night and things like that. And so all of those things are very important to um, helping Jewish people see that you can be a believer in Jesus and still live like a Jew. Mm, Yeah. I'm curious, have you ever received any pushback from the church at large for celebrating in a Jewish style, for, for for the Jewish expression of worship, for example? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, ab- absolutely. Um, you know, the, there's a lot of suspicion when we talk about Jewish tradition, when we talk about celebrating the holidays, uh, that uh, a classic response is, well, we don't need that anymore. We're, we're Christians. Uh, Jesus fulfilled all those feasts. Why go back? Why celebrate the Passover? Mm. You know, why do anything to acknowledge the Day of Atonement if Jesus is 
our final atonement. And there's a lot of suspicion. I think some of it may be justified depending on what segment of the Messianic Jewish community you're looking at. But I think generally a lot of Christians don't understand that our commitment to our Jewish identity and living out certain aspects of that biblical identity the way we do is not an issue of we're doing this to achieve anything in God's sight. Hmm. But we are doing it simply to celebrate who God is and the identity that he has given to us, which in turn points to his faithfulness. Mm, yeah. I also encounter quite a bit of pushback sometimes uh, when I have the opportunity, the privilege to, to speak in various churches and so forth. Usually there's someone who will come up after the service, uh, especially after I lead something like a Passover Seder. And they will give me the same kind of response of, well, we don't have to do this, so why are we doing it? And I like to gently explain to them that, well, just as we have the freedom not to do those things, so we also have the freedom to partake of those things. And it's enriching to the faith is what I've found. Um, and so then I think, it, I think a lot of it comes back to motivation, right? If I'm going to celebrate the Passover, why am I doing that? Am I doing it because I think it's something I have to do? Or am I doing it because I want to celebrate the Lamb of God, the, the, the Passover Lamb who takes away the sin of the world? And uh, so there's oftentimes a discussion that needs to take place. Um, and I think too often there's just kind of a finger pointed and a quick judgment made instead right. of a discussion. So, Yeah, it's often based on, 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 on ignorance to a certain extent. Um, there is a, a certain, I think, uh, bias towards um, traditional expressions of, of Christian faith uh, and any uh, attempt to modify that is met with suspicion. Mm. And uh, it's always very helpful to help people see that, um, for instance, the feasts and, and, and acknowledging those feasts is a God-given way of seeing these amazing pictures of Messiah Jesus mm. and his ministry, as well as this amazing picture of God's plan in history, which is going to culminate with the kingdom, which is represented perfectly in the Feast of Sukkot. Mm. Well, finally, that brings us to the fourth core value, celebrate Jewish and Gentile identities. And why is that important for the Olive Tree Congregation? Well, because it's it's important to God. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean by that? Uh, well, there are, there are only two different, there are two different kinds of people in the world. There are Jews and there are Gentiles. There mm -hmm. are physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and there are those who are not, or those who, who've become part of that community uh, by uh, marrying in, etc. But the idea being that, that God has set apart the Jewish people, and he has a, a, his plan, they have a specific role in his plan. Uh, but that plan involves the entire world. And now that Jesus has come the first time, and we're waiting for his return, both Jews and Gentiles play an important part in that plan and the outworking of that plan. And so what we find is people who come to our congregation who aren't Jewish, 
and will want to wear a kippah, wear a talit, uh, and start keeping kosher and keeping the Sabbath. And they're, they're way more observant than we are. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they have an idea somehow that, that they are not all that God wants them to be because mm. they're not Jewish enough. Mm. And so part of our, our ministry and part of our commitment is to help Jews understand God's plan for them now as Jews in the outworking and the outgoing of the gospel, mm-hmm. as well as the role of Gentiles in that same plan yeah. and to share in that plan together. Well, that's good stuff. Um, we're going to come back and wrap things up with Dan. Stay tuned. We'll be back in 30 seconds. Shalom Tov listeners. If you've been enjoying this podcast, I encourage you to check out Life in Messiah. Life in Messiah is an organization that's been around since 1887, sharing God's heart with the Jewish people. On our website, lifeinmessiah.org, there are tons of great resources about understanding Jewish culture and background and about how you can share the gospel with your Jewish friends and neighbors. That's lifeinmessiah.org, lifeinmessiah.org. Welcome back to the Tove Podcast. We are here with congregational leader Dan Stroll out of Chicagoland. He's just wrapping up his testimony. Uh, Dan, you're a Jewish guy who believes in Jesus, and I would not doubt that there are probably some of our listeners out there for the Tove Podcast who are searching. Maybe there's some folks out there who are kind of on the fence when it comes to Jesus. From the comments I see on the Tove Podcast Facebook page, there are definitely some angry people out there. What say you to those folks? Well, uh, I would ask you the question, why are you so angry? Mm. <laughs> and and would encourage you to look at that because I know in my case that was, an, that was a critical question I had to ask myself. Why was I so angry? Why was I so defensive? Why was I so sure that Jews can't believe in Jesus and you can't be Jewish and believe in Jesus. Mm. And as I began to press into that for myself, I began to realize that I was more narrow-minded and dogmatic than the Christians I was pointing my finger at. Mm. (laughs) And in that I had never really for myself looked into it, that I had not opened the scriptures and said, okay, God, who are you? Who am I? What does it mean to be Jewish? And what does it mean to have a relationship with you? Mm. Because it wasn't until I started asking those questions and I started to talk to God about those issues and I began to look into the scriptures that I began to form a very, very different picture of who God is, who I am, and what it means to have a relationship with him. Mm. In fact, when I came to faith, part of the part of my story is that... Um, when Cynthia and I would talk to each other about, she would ask me questions about what what God is like, et cetera, and we go back and forth and back and forth. And and of course I would ask her, well, what do you think and why? And and she would explain. And and then I, I went and um, she left at the end of the ski season, left the Bible with me. And I opened the Bible. I wouldn't go anywhere near the New Testament. Mm-hmm. Uh, I opened in Genesis and just started reading. And I was shocked within the first, 11, 12 chapters of the book of Genesis, I realized that the God Cynthia had been describing to me that I thought was the God of the Gentiles was my God, mm. was the God of the Jewish people. 
and I was I was shocked to discover that he's personal and wants to have personal relationships with his creatures, that he's holy, and that he gets to call the shots. Yeah. <laughs> and that just because I'm Jewish doesn't mean I'm okay with him. Mm. And that my sin really matters to him and did does separate me from him. And then I realized in reading just those first few chapters that that he requires a sacrifice, a blood sacrifice, a life-for-life exchange for the forgiveness of sin so that we can continue to have a relationship with him. Those things all, they blew my mind. Mm. I thought, no, that's crazy. She, when she said, do you need a, you know, a blood sacrifice? Cynthia asked me that once. I said, no, 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 no. We, Jews, we don't do blood. We, you know, we fast, we pray on Yom Kippur. We don't do blood. Well, that's true. We don't do blood anymore, but that's only because God has seen fit, you know, for the temple to be destroyed. Mm -hmm. But our entire relationship with God nationally was based on the need for those kinds of blood sacrifices. And so as I began to read the scriptures, and then I began to read, I looked at the, the new covenant scriptures finally after months of not being willing to go near them, I was shocked to discover what I had mentioned before, that Jesus was Jewish. All his followers were Jewish. The, all I believe all the books were written by Jews, but that's a different discussion. Mm -hmm. And all of the myth that all of the things I had thought were misconceptions. Now that's not to say that the tragedy of church of church history and the church's treatment of the Jewish people. That's not a fabrication. That's true. Mm. But that's not the gospel. Right. <laughs> that's not the good news. That's not God. People do bad things in the name of good ideas all the time. Mm. And uh, and so I would just say to people who are searching, search. Don't be afraid to talk to God. Don't be afraid to ask him to reveal himself to you. And don't be afraid to read his story for yourself. Because as you do, your whole perspective on him and you and what it means to have a relationship with him will be transformed. It wasn't until I realized the need for blood sacrifice was built right into my Jewish identity and our national heritage that I began to even understand why people kept talking about Jesus dying on the cross for my sin. Mm. I mean, it made absolutely no sense to me. I thought, how barbaric. Why, who would, why would, what? That doesn't make any sense at all. But as I pressed into the word and as God opened the eyes of my heart to understand, I began to see the need for that atoning sacrifice. And as I began to see that, then I was willing to really consider whether or not Jesus was the one God had provided for me. Mm, wow. What an incredible story. And praise the Lord that he bestowed his mercy on you and opened your eyes and uh, poured out his grace on you. Amen. And maybe you are listening today and Dan's story is a little bit like your own so far. And perhaps you've thought about opening the scriptures and taking a look, but you've just never taken that step. Perhaps this week is a good week to open up the Bible. Just start just where Dan did. Start in Genesis chapter 1 and pray and ask the Lord, Lord, if I'm missing something here, open my eyes. And the scriptures tell us that 
God doesn't want anybody to perish, but that he wants all to come to have everlasting life. And so I'm confident that if you truly search, you're looking for the truth with your whole heart, you'll find God and he'll be there. Dan, thanks for joining us today on the Tove Podcast. For our listeners out there, you can find us at tovepodcast.com, Spotify, iTunes, and check out our Facebook page. Make a comment. Send us a message. Thanks for joining us today on the Tove Podcast. God.